for joining us. I'm Diane Rehm. Hillary Clinton continues to pull ahead of Donald Trump in presidential polls after a week of controversial statements from Trump that left many Republicans questioning whether they can support him in November. The U.S. added 255,000 jobs last month, and in Miami, the fight against a local Zika outbreak continues. Here for the Friday News Roundup, Byron York of the Washington Examiner, Ruth Marcus of the Washington Post, and Reed Wilson of The Hill. And as always, you can join us, 800-433-8850. Send us an email to drshow at wamu.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter, or if you like, you can watch video streaming of this hour. Go to drshow.org and click on Watch Live. Welcome to all of you. Good morning. Hi. Good to be here. Good to see you. We now have the jobs report for July. Reed Wilson, what do you make of it? It is an almost uniformly positive report. Uh, 255,000 private uh, jobs added in the last uh, month over July. The unemployment rate is stable at 4.9%, but the labor force participation rate is up. Uh, this is something that a lot of people have pointed out over the last uh, eight years, that even as as jobs have been added and the unemployment rate has dropped, the number of people actually looking for jobs has been down. It's now ticking up a little bit, a sign that people are actually starting to look for jobs again. What about wages, Ruth Marcus? Um, wages are up, uh, continue to be up just a little bit. Um, all this news is good, but it's also news that I think is a little bit confusing for people for a few reasons. They don't necessarily feel that wage growth in their pocketbooks yet. They they look at these job numbers. Those come out every month, but they're also seeing what continue to be still pretty anemic growth rates. And I think there's um, look the the these are terrific numbers and numbers that should make both the Obama administration and the Clinton campaign really quite happy. But I I think, um, and we see this on the campaign trail, there's still a lot of underlying economic anxiety in the country among voters about where we are really heading. But New York. And you did see in her um, convention speech uh, last week, Hillary Clinton say that her main goal is to have more jobs at better wages. And so, yes, this is good news. Uh, Republicans made a big deal of the growth rate uh, in the last quarter, 1.2 percent, not very good at all. A lot of Republicans wanted Donald Trump to make a bigger deal of that. I went to his speech in Ashburn, Virginia, a couple of days ago, and he got around to it 53 minutes into his speech. So Republicans want to want their presidential candidate to make a bigger deal of of uh, economic conditions. But I mean, this is clearly good news. I think the issue with Hillary Clinton is how big a deal to make of it, because it's it's been my experience is you can kind of talk down an economy and say things are terrible and people think, well, maybe it is for other people. But you can't really talk up an economy because someone will say, well, it's not really good for me. So that's her problem, I think. So what about the Fed? Is this going to make 
change, altered decision-making? Well, we had a really bad jobs report uh, about two months ago right. that I think may have scared the Fed into uh, not hiking rates at their at next opportunity, or maybe even through the, the end of the year. Um, a rate hike will come at some point, uh, but the recovery probably has to be sort of more sustained at, at this level. I mean, in the last three months, we've averaged 190,000 jobs. That's great. Uh, but we did have that one blip a couple of months ago, uh, which probably still scares people. More jobs reports like this make a rate hike more Janet Yellen is scheduled to speak the 26th of August, Ruth. What do you suppose? Um, I I think she will be, as always, um, very careful and somewhat cryptic, um, which is is the job of the Fed chair. Um, And however, I think this news both... um, raises the prospect of a rate rate hike, but I still would not expect that to happen until, because this is all we're thinking about right now, after the election. All right. So this week we've seen Hillary Clinton, Byron, York pass Donald Trump in the polls anywhere from 6 to 15 points. Post-convention jump or more? Well, I think it's two things. I think she did get a bounce from her convention, which was well-produced, well-received, featured big speeches by the stars of the Democratic Party, the president, the vice president, the first lady, the former president. Uh, You didn't see those stars of the Republican Party speaking at their convention. So uh, convention bounce, yes. Uh, And also Donald Trump stepped in it in just a huge way in his fight with Ghazir Khan. Uh, which began with a very calculated attack from the the podium of the Democratic National Convention, to which Trump immediately responded very badly. So um, I think it's a mixture of those two things. And Republicans have just been tearing their hair out about this. I think we've all seen these stories about panic, uh, which is true. And I think uh, in the past, if you go back to the Judge Curiel affair, uh, Trump creates a huge controversy Republicans want to leave him, and Trump dials it back a little bit. Everybody starts breathing again, and then we're on to the next controversy. And I think we're seeing the dialing back starting right now. Hasn't he – this is on a totally different subject, but he said in regard to that plane landing with $400 million that – he saw a video. He's now yeah. stepped back from that read. Usually, Diane, when we're doing the Friday News Roundup, I have to I have to study up on non-politics things. This time, I had to make a list of all of the things that Trump has said in the last week, just because there are so many of them. He refused to endorse Paul Ryan and John McCain, two highlights of the Republican Party. Uh, he suggested in an interview that people pull their their 401k money out of the stock market. Uh, he suggested he, he said that he'd always wanted to Purple Heart and that just having somebody give him one was easier. Uh, I can go on. It, uh, Byron re- referenced the Khan family. Uh, he picked a fight with a crying baby at that event in, in Virginia earlier. Uh, he suggested that the elections may be rigged. And I've got more here. I don't want to take up the whole show, but this is any one of those comments. Uh, remember remember when we were uh, sort of paying attention to Mitt Romney's flubs on saying he had binders full of women and that 47% of the election wouldn't vote for him. Uh, that was the that was the the and oh by the way he was severely conservative. Those were the impolitic statements that Mitt Romney made during an entire campaign. Donald Trump has doubled or tripled that in a week. 
Um, and just to add to Reed's most excellent list, um, that builds on the hacking comments uh, encouraging Russia to hack into DNC emails and Clinton campaign emails um, from the previous week. And I think there was one omission that actually um, meant a lot to me, which were um, Donald Trump's comments about what his daughter Ivanka sh and others should do if they were subjected to sexual harassment in the workplace, which is find another career or get another job. Um, Ivanka Trump did clean that up. I, I think in general, um, I agree with everything that's been said. I think Donald Trump has um, turned what would have been a post-convention bounce into a post-convention pole vault um, by doing two things, saying a bunch of things that um, just just really double down on people's concerns about him and also saying things that take attention away from some missteps that Hillary Clinton has made after what I agree was a very well-produced convention. And so we did see two... Um, Byron suggested that he's um, dialing down. We'll see. History does not suggest that Donald Trump can keep himself in check for that long. Though this uh, this statement about that he was wrong about this Iranian video is something of a new development for Donald Trump. Significant. Fessing up, which he didn't do, for example, about those Muslims he allegedly saw celebrating in New Jersey. Well, it's the 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 um, uh, Iranian money tweet that he, he he sent out a tweet saying well actually i was looking at a video of something else and it wasn't this and it's being taken uh, you know it's a huge sign that his 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 uh advisors have now gotten him to just kind of it, it, at least pull back on the small things um as far as uh as far as trump dialing it back is concerned if you look i, I we're on the radio i can't give a perfect picture of this but if you look at but the there is real clear politics streaming if you, if you look at the real clear politics average of polls you know, they they just go up and then they meet and they and Clinton goes up and Trump goes down and then they come back and meet and come back and meet. So I think that suggests we're in a really low cycle for Trump, I think. Um, and but, I think that suggests that they'll meet again uh, maybe two or three times uh -huh. before the general election. Would you agree, Ruth? I, I, I'm not sure I agree because we uh, but I do think it's possible um, The the direction of these polls is so uniform and so significant that I think um, the word was used on uh, the front page of my newspaper this week, panic, about the feelings in the Republican Party. And I think that is both accurate and warranted. Uh, I also do think that let's remember we have, let's hope, three debates, four if you include the vice presidential. Ahead of us, those can be um, voter-changing events, so I wouldn't rule out those polls crossing again, but I think this has been a very bad stretch for Donald Trump. And, beyond, and beyond the national polls, we're looking at, at surveys coming out of key swing states and even Republican-leaning states. She's up nine points in Michigan, 11 points in Pennsylvania, which is Trump's campaign has said is a must-win state, 17 points in New Hampshire, and then she's ahead by four points in Georgia, which Republican uh, Democrats haven't won since 92, and three points in Arizona. Wow. Reed Wilson, national correspondent for The Hill. Short break here. Your calls, your comments, shortly. DCS Daily. DCS Daily. DCS Daily. 
It's news, culture, and curiosities. From the district, Tacoma Park, Alexandria, Friendship Heights, Hyattsville, Falls Church, Northeast Washington, D.C., in your inbox every weekday afternoon. DCS Daily. Sign up at dcs.com slash newsletter. dcs.com slash newsletter. And welcome back here with me for the domestic hour, the Friday News Roundup. Reed Wilson, national correspondent for The Hill, Ruth Marcus. She's deputy editorial page editor for The Washington Post, and Byron York is chief political correspondent for The Washington Examiner. We now have third-party candidates in the race, Gary Johnson, Jill Stein. To what extent are they affecting the polls at this point, Reed? A lot more than they will be affecting the polls on Election Day. Uh, Gary Johnson is in the high single digits, if not low double digits. Uh, One of the uh, recent surveys that came out, I'm blanking on which one now, had him at 11 percent of the vote. Uh, That would represent about 10 times more, 10 times higher than the Libertarian Party has has received in recent years. Gary Johnson himself got something like 1.3 percent in in 2012. as we move towards Election Day and more and more Americans focus on the actual choice between them, the, between, on, of these four candidates in most states, some states have a lot more than just four candidates on the ballot for president, uh, the real fight is going to come down to Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And in in all of these early polls over the last several cycles, the third-party candidates tend to do a lot better in August and September than they do on actual Election Day. And what does it mean for debates. At what point are they allowed in the debates? Uh, I believe the threshold is 15 percent. We have seen them flirting with um, low double digits at some points. That doesn't seem likely. It's also not surprising, though, that voters in this context would express some interest in third-party candidates, even in the recent polling, even with this big pole vaulty bounce, Clinton's negatives remained at 53% negative. Uh, in the CNN poll, Trump was at 61. So voters are obviously looking for an alternative. Byron. I, I agree that uh, in general, a libertarian candidate uh, and, and a green candidate is not going to get very many votes on Election Day. The one argument you could make that this uh, this election is different is, especially on the Republican side, all of these Republicans who say they simply can't vote for Trump. And then they start looking around because they can't vote for Hillary Clinton. And uh, can, you know, can they really, if they're a pro-life Republican, can they really vote for Gary Johnson? I don't know. But I, I do think that Johnson will do better than he did in 2012. Yes, not being on the debate stage is huge. You tend, they'll just not exist after they're not on the debate stage. Uh, but still, enough voters are looking for an alternative that uh, that that they may get. Johnson may get more than he got four years ago. You know, I think about Ross Perot taking 19 percent of the vote when he uh, ran. Sure, and I think about um, Ralph Nader, who I know I'm going to now get an angry call from Ralph, um, who had an impact on 
the 2000 Remind election, um, he, if Ralph Nader's voters had not voted for him in Florida, um, it's a fair inference that Al Gore would have definitively won Florida and the outcome of the election would have been different. Um, but I've been keeping a little bit of an eye on these third party polls, and I'd like my colleagues to correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not seeing um, a clear clear evidence that the existence and, and relative popularity of the third party candidates is hurting one candidate or the other. It seems to be pretty, pretty much a wash. To your point, because they are both so hugely, hugely unfavorable, they, their Americans' opinions of Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are unfavorable. So these candidates are probably pulling from both at the moment. All right, Ted, where is the money coming from that Donald Trump has raised? Lots of money said to come from small donors, Ruth. Um, sure, and this is the um, really good news um, and an otherwise dreadful week for Donald Trump. Um, I think maybe um, fundraising numbers might be the new polls that he'll start um, <laughs> waving about at his rallies. Uh, I think the number was $82 million that he raised in the last month. That was Donald Trump in combination with the Republican National Committee. It is true that um, the Republican National Committee has a very strong history not just of raising um, what we would think of as big bucks from deep-pocketed donors, but they have a very good fundraising list for small donations. We've seen with other candidates the incredible power of the Internet in generating lots of money. Donald Trump has not deeply tapped into that in the past. So there is this gusher of money that was potentially available for him. There will be two things to look at uh, going forward. One is whether he can replicate that in month two. Um, and the second is how much money it took to raise that money, because you can spend a lot of money on direct mail and phone calling, and your yield might not be as great as your total. This really is huge for Donald Trump because he had been so far behind and also because it required a complete about face from his his rhetoric in the primaries where he he always said all of these all of these other guys, they're just the puppets of the big donors. The, the big donors own these guys and I'm so rich. I don't have to take anybody's money. Uh, so uh, to, to be, I believe, uh, Ruth is right, it was $82 million. The, the uh, comparable number for the Democrats was $90 million for the same period. So Trump was sort of in the ballpark, which he has never been before. So that's a big deal. He says his average donation was $61, which is pretty small. I mean, Bernie Sanders always said $27, 27 over and over and right. over. But still, $61 indicates that he's getting small donations. I want to ask you all about um, some mistakes that Donald Trump has made on the campaign trail. Um, he's forgotten names. He's used the wrong names. We've all seen what's been called erratic behavior on his part. What is that telling us? There have been some letters to the editor, one in particular in a Pennsylvania newspaper suggesting that there may be more to this erratic behavior than just his personality, Ruth. Well, I, I'm a little bit reluctant, um, based on my medical degree from the University of WebMD, as I tell <laughs> my kids, um, to engage in, you know, armchair diagnosis, armchair medical advice, armchair psychoanalysis. Um, but it has been 
striking. I was listening. It, it, it kind of got lost in the press conference where he talked about um, encouraging the Russia to hack into the Clinton emails. He repeatedly referred to um, Tim Kaine as the governor of New Jersey and talked about uh, uh, unemployment and other things in New Jersey. Uh, he That was the day that John Hinckley was ordered release, the uh, would-be assassin of President Reagan. He referred to him as David Hinckley. I have to say, um, if I were on the campaign trail and keeping the hours that both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are keeping, and I'm a lot younger, thank goodness, than they are, um, I would probably be stumbling over my words, too. So and, I don't wouldn't make a ton of it. And Ariana Huffington mm-hmm. said it's lack of sleep. It takes a an incredible amount of knowledge to run for president. People spend years uh, digesting briefing books and, and papers. I mean, people like Mark Rubio and Ted Cruz go through binders and binders of information on foreign policy and domestic policy and history and things like that. And what this has all said to me is that Donald Trump did not do that same level of intellectual preparation. The moment that stands out to me, at least, uh, was when he mistook the the Quds force uh, from Iran and the Kurds, uh, which could be easy to mishear. But there is is a difference that somebody who had spent years studying foreign for the 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 this this sort of uh, ringer of running for president uh, would not have made and and in fact Donald Trump has continued to make those so to me at least it's just evidence that uh, he did not go through the same sort of preparation process that other candidates have. Uh, I think one thing we've seen in the whole campaign is that uh, Trump can be easily distracted and that I think he has a different kind of intelligence than uh, people who have been in politics are concerned. If you look at the long interview that uh, Philip Rucker of the Washington Post did with Trump a couple of days ago at Trump's golf course in Virginia, um, they're in a room and there's a a screen with uh, Fox News on in in back of of, uh, the interviewer. And uh, Trump would see himself and become distracted uh, while he's giving this interview, which is on the record. And, you know, then he'd see something and become distracted. Listen to his speeches. He goes all over the place. He distracts himself, gets back back on track, distracts himself, gets back on track. So what does that say to you? Uh, well, it, it, he's a completely different type of – he's obviously a very effective communicator. But he's a completely different type of intelligence than we've seen in, Republic, in, in candidates – excuse me, political candidates, if you talk to people who've tried to brief him on things, do you give Donald Trump this long briefing paper? No. Do you draw him a picture? For example, in the Middle East, they've, they've, they've drawn pictures. You know, this is where you could have a safe zone for Syrian uh, refugees. And he gets that sort of thing. It's like a blueprint. Uh, so, you know, some people are more spatial exactly. and some people are more intellectual. Absolutely. I do think there's a very different type of worldview and brain in Donald Trump. All right. Uh, let's talk about... The positions his vice presidential candidate, uh, Mike Pence, has taken, he simply separated himself from Trump on acknowledging his support of Paul Ryan. Ruth. Um, this was a really remarkable moment. I mean, you don't only have Democrats criticizing Donald Trump or separating themselves um, from Donald Trump this week. You don't only have Republicans in tough races like senators who are up for re-election separating themselves from Donald Trump or the Speaker of the House. You have his own um, his own running mate separating himself from Donald Trump because Mike Pence is very, very close to Paul Ryan 
and when Donald Trump could not really stop himself from turning Paul Ryan's words back against him, I'm not quite there yet on the Ryan endorsement, um, that created exactly the kind of contretemps firestorm that I think Trump uh, anticipated it would create. And there was Pence left in a deeply uncomfortable position. So can I give my theory of what sure. Trump could do with of Paul course. Ryan? Uh, obviously, there's a lot of pressure on Paul Ryan from the whole Republican establishment to, to, to disavow Trump, to rescind his endorsement of him. And the, clearly, this is not working. I mean, if they're so-called partners, it's not working. And President Obama made a very reasonable point the other day when he said, look, if, if there's somebody and you keep having to say that what he has just said is unacceptable, then why are you supporting him? So. Perhaps Trump could uh, release Paul Ryan from his endorsement because Trump needs to separate himself from that sort of thing. He could say, look, uh, I respect Paul Ryan greatly, but I understand he does not support my plan to build a wall, secure our borders and protect America from dangerous illegal immigrants. Uh, I could he could say, I understand that Paul Ryan does not support my plan for keeping radical Islamic terrorists out of the country. And I understand he doesn't support my plan to make trade agreements, fair for all Americans first. And I know that I don't support his plan to cut your Medicare and Social Security. So Donald Trump needs to could could distance himself from all the Republican things that voters don't really like very much. And Wisconsin is gone. You know, Republicans in Wisconsin do not support Donald Trump. He you know, he's the Republican candidate, but he can't run as a Republican because it's not working. And let me just say, this is from a practical political standpoint, this is not a good fight for Donald Trump to pick. Paul Ryan faces a primary. Uh, is it next week? It's coming up in, in the next Tuesday. few days. Okay, this coming Tuesday. Uh, he's going to win that primary, and he might go north of 80 percent of the vote. It, it makes no logical sense for Donald Trump to have picked this fight with Paul Ryan, but for the fact that he feels slighted and feels the need to take a shot back. I think, uh, let me just remind you, you're listening to The Diane Rehm Show. Ruth, I do believe the comments that Trump made about the Gold Star family were something that really disturbed not only veterans not only those who have friends, loved ones serving in the armed forces, it bothered everybody. It, it bothered everybody, and it bothered everybody for a good reason, which is that he simply went too far, not just um, complaining about Kaiser Khan, who he said had attacked him viciously from the stage at the convention, but also raising questions about whether Mrs. Khan had... Um, been had anything to say, he said, or had been kept silent or been told to stay silent as a result of her religion. Um, Mrs. Khan, Ghazala Khan, wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post that was online on Sunday and in the newspaper Monday morning. It was, um, I, I spoke to her Sunday morning extensively in, to help her um, prepare that op-ed. We spent about 30, 40 minutes on the phone. Let me tell you, and please, re anybody, read the op-ed, and you'll see for yourself. She had a lot to say. She had a lot to say about her son. She had a lot to say about how, I mean, she was crying during this conversation, and I have to say, I might have been too, because the, her son was killed 12 years ago, and the pain of this is so fresh for her. 
she spoke about not just about how she really couldn't she couldn't even look inside his closet to clean it because she still felt the wound so much and she spoke about her religion and the insult to her religion that she thought Donald Trump had had um, directed in uh, her way and so this fight with the cons is possibly um, the least smart fight I've ever seen any politician pick in American political history. I think what dismayed Republicans about the way Trump handled it so much was that it wasn't really hard to handle. Uh, you you simply say, uh, you know, we, we respect the cons, we honor their sacrifice, uh, and we're, you know, we, we appreciate the service to this nation. But... There are serious issues uh, about uh, illegal immigration and terrorists entering the United States, and that's why I, Donald Trump, uh, support this plan. Because, you know, Khan actually did mention it was there was substance in what he said, and what Kazir Khan said in his speech. He talked about uh, the, the Mexican wall, I think he mentioned. He talked about the Muslim ban. He suggested they were unconstitutional. He quoted a portion of the 14th uh, Amendment, and then he endorsed Hillary Clinton. So I think, I think that once you take the proper tone, you can actually respond uh, to the substance of what Khan said from the podium. Rather than to attack. And contrast uh, Donald Trump's reaction with George W. Bush, who met with people like Cindy Sheehan several times, people who, who de- deeply opposed him and, and, and were angry about it. And George W. Bush's response was always, I thank them for their sacrifice. They're allowed to say whatever they want about me. And can I say one quick thing here, Diane? The it, There are appropriate ways for Donald Trump to react, but the smartest thing for him to do would have been to not react because if he had not said anything on Saturday and Sunday, what would we have been talking about on Sunday and Monday? Hillary Clinton's comments to Chris Wallace in her interview about Jim Comey and uh, whether she had told the truth to the American people and the four Pinocchios that it earned her with our fact checker. So we are in the midst of a really tough, nasty campaign, you guys, and Right now, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll open the phones. I know lots of you would like to have a word, so stay with us. And welcome back. It has certainly not been all good news for the Democrats this week. Three more party leaders stepped down over the emails that were leaked, Byron, just before the convention. What happened? Well, it was a, it was a disastrous start to the Democratic convention. I mean, we we all got to uh, to Philadelphia, and uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz was going up in flames, and then it, they waited till after the convention for the the the. The, what was it, the communications guy, the CFO, and somebody else, to the, basically the top structure of management 
uh, all quit. And then there's this oh, quit. Excuse me. They, yeah, they <laughs> quit. They quit. quit. Yeah, quit. Quotes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and you had Donna Brazil, who has taken over. Uh, the party on an interim basis coming out and saying, well, we know there's more stuff coming that we'll have to apologize for. So uh, it, this is something that truly has uh, been, it, it was reported quite a bit at the convention, but the after effects, I think, have been a little lost in our attention to Trump right now. So CEO Amy Dacey, the communications director, Louis Miranda, and the CFO, Brad Marshall, were all out. Marshall was the one who had suggested in one of the emails that uh, that Bernie Sanders' religion uh, would be a fair fair topic. So um, the interesting thing that has has emerged this week is that the FBI apparently knew that the that the, these two Russian units had had gotten access to the DNC files uh, last fall, and they didn't tell the DNC until this spring. I, I assume they were uh, watching to see to sort of trace back to see where they exactly were coming what, from. What whatever they could learn from yeah. watching these hackers operate. But uh, this is this is nothing but bad news for the Democratic Party. Uh, but but for the fact that there are all these things coming out of the other candidate's mouth. And that's exactly what you said earlier. Indeed. Um, But I do think that the departure of these three top officials is thus kind of predictable, inevitable aftershock from the big earthquake of Debbie Wasserman Schultz leaving. Anybody who looked at those emails and anybody who looked at what was been what had been said during the convention week knew that there were departures to come. Why they didn't do it all at once, I don't know. That might have been a lot to pull off during a convention week. But I don't think this indicates any more trouble than we for the Democrats than we already knew was present. All right, let's go to the phones. First to Joyce in Miami, Florida. You're on the air. Thank you, Diane. I listen to your show every day. Thanks. Um, I, I I really was upset at Donald Trump's comments that if you're being sexually harassed at work, you're just supposed to quit and find a new job. I, I, I was outraged at that. It happened to me in my corporate life, and uh, I used to, I was single. I mean, am I just supposed to quit my job and you know give up my 401k, give up my health benefits, and find a new job? I, I just think that's absurd to say that to any woman. And Ivanka Trump uh, tried to clarify what her father meant. I thought it was interesting that she said that she had, fa- in fact, been sexually harassed, uh, and the and people had apologized when they figured out who she was. There aren't a lot of people who who uh, you know who are the boss's daughter. Or I like don't think there's a woman in America, Reed, who hasn't had some experience with sexual harassment, and I include myself. Our caller was from Miami, and yesterday we did a program on the Zika virus in that small area, neighborhood of Miami, and Dr. Fauci was, of course, on the program, and at that time, I said, I'm going to Florida a little later in the month, and that I don't like DEET and would not use it. And Dr. Fauci persuaded me that I was wrong. So I wanted to be sure and say that on the air. When I go to Florida, Dr. Fauci, I will use DEET and Certainly, the CDC issued really quite a warning about this to pregnant women. Ruth. 
Uh, this is very scary. Um, I've listened to Tony Fauci is one of my rules in life. Absolutely. Um, everyone should listen. Everyone should listen to the CDC. Um, the notion that um, we have this warning in Florida that there are likely to be other places where we have such outbreaks, there might be an expansion. And couple that with the just inexplicable and outrageous failure of Congress to provide adequate funding to deal with this mess before leaving town for its summer why. vacation. You know um, why. In, in a dispute over extraneous things, and there's a lot of finger pointing in a lot of different directions. But if if we cannot, as a country, prepare ourselves and adequately fund known disasters that are rolling in our direction, we are in some big trouble. Well, actually, I agree with that. There is this period before a presidential election in which the government traditionally does nothing. I mean, just not that Congress can't agree. They all go. They just want to go out and campaign anyway. And most of the time, they don't actually need to do anything in some urgent way. And here they did. And it was really striking where you had Republicans saying, we want to provide this amount of uh, funding for Zika. And Democrats saying, we want to provide this amount of funding. And it seemed to be an easily solvable problem. And yet in the end, it wasn't. And part of it was because of Planned Parenthood. And it seemed to me that that was a pretty extraneous reason not to fund a very serious threat. Right. Look, if you are on one side against the Planned Parenthood funding, you say, how outrageous is it that Democrats are holding up this funding because they won't allow any incursions on Planned Parenthood and plus Planned Parenthood wasn't named in this and yada, da da da. And if you're on the other side, you say, how outrageous is it that Republicans will not allow this money to go forward because they are so insistent on depriving Planned Parenthood of funding. One of um, you can guess which side of this I come down on, but one of the things that I find most disturbing is that of all the things that we should be funding in the face of uh, the Zika threat, it is access to contraception. We want people who don't want to be pregnant or want to avoid pregnancy in dangerous areas to have as much access to contraception as they can. That is a big piece of the business. I'm waiting for the emails about uh, abortion providers, but that's okay. Bring them on. Um, that, But providing access to contraceptive services is a big piece of Planned Parenthood business, period. Uh, to Christine in Syracuse, New York, uh, Syracuse, Indiana. Hi, you're on the air. Hello, yes. We live in a state governed, was governed by Mike Pence. I could go on about that. But my question is about the fourth estate, the news media. I have yet to see them pivot to cover Donald Trump the way he needs to be covered. I watched the Sunday interview with George Stephanopoulos. And I also watched the Democratic convention, and you could see on Mrs. Khan's face the turmoil that she was in. Any normal person with any kind of feeling could have seen it. And then I listened to a gentleman like Jonathan uh, Carl regurgitate information, Trumpisms, as some sort of solution to his uh, – inability to act like a normal human being. No one confronts him in any of these interviews. No one asks him questions. I'm curious as to when this man will have moment upon moment where he is questioned over his stupidity. It just stymies me that this man has so much television play, and yet no one no one confronts him. Byron. Well, I, I see this from an entirely different side. I mean, I think the coverage of, of Trump has been uh, overwhelmingly negative in the past seven days. 
And uh, I'm not saying if that's good or bad. I think it's just been very, very negative. As a matter of fact, uh, at Harvard, the Shorenstein Center did a study on press coverage of uh, of Trump in the in the whole uh, primary season, and now in the general election, and they found that the coverage of Trump was really quite neutral to positive early on when there was so much horse race coverage, just horse race all the time, and Trump was doing well in the horse race, and they found that the coverage was relatively neutral, and uh, Trump absolutely benefited from that. After Trump wrapped up the nomination, even before May 3rd when he formally gets it, um, the press coverage becomes more and more negative because it's more and more him versus Hillary Clinton, and there's more attention paid to everything he says. And I, I believe if they continue that study, which they're doing now, but when we see it, I think the, the negative line will continue to go up. You know, part of the problem, I, for example, watched John Dickerson uh, interview Trump, and face-to-face, Trump refuses to directly respond to the questions that are asked. He veers left or he veers right. And and I think we need to make a distinction here uh, between media as this sort of one overarching uh, uh, industry. I mean, there are a lot of different types of media. In an interview on CNN, when the whoever it is only has four minutes to, to, to show something on air. You're right. Trump is all over the place, and it's it's hard to uh, sort of get him into, into a box. But there has been a lot of really excellent coverage in The Washington Post. Uh, Phil Rucker just did that interview a couple of days ago in The New York Times, in, in papers across the country. I, I don't mean to just single out two. It's been a lot of them on Trump's business dealings, on his uh, overseas business, on, on his relationships in Atlantic City, uh, just like there has been really tough coverage on uh, Hillary Clinton. And, so and her if past, you're too. only watching yeah. television, and you may get me- media one is thought, not- and reading right. newspapers is another. I, I would like to stick up for reading newspapers and reading <laughs> newspaper websites, but I'm also going to stick up here for my television colleagues. Reid is right. Trump is particularly elusive in being pinned down, but people, he is that is capable of happening. Jake Tapper did a magnificent job mm-hmm. of asking him the same question something like 27 times. And if you look, and I, the notion of John Carl regurgitating really rankles with me because that is not who he is. Look at the, that Sunday interview. George Stephanopoulos uh, asked the questions that allowed Donald Trump to hang himself, both in his response about Mrs. Khan and in his um, discussion about Uh, what Russia was doing in Ukraine and Crimea. So our job is not to destroy Donald Trump or defeat Donald Trump as the media. Our job, and I think the television networks are doing it as well as um, print journalists, our job is to ask him questions that elucidate information and allow voters to make their own judgments. And one of the things he's done that Republican strategists are kind of amazed at is he continues to grant interviews. Uh, The the entire problem, if you look at the Khan controversy, the troubles he made for himself were in uh, in interviews. Uh, I've I watched I think three of his speeches: uh, Columbus and Mechanicsburg, uh, uh, Pennsylvania, and then Ashburn, Virginia. Didn't mention it at all. Uh, but then he goes and does an interview, and he can't control himself uh, in the interview. And I, I think that a, a number of Republicans would advocate Trump to have a more Hillary Clinton-like press strategy and not do, Hillary Clinton did do a Sunday interview, uh, but generally does not do very many. And we all know she hasn't done a press conference in forever. Um, to take a more Clinton-esque strategy with the press. All right. To uh, Houston, Texas, surrender. You're on the air. 
Yes, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Right. I, w- I want to know how many times uh, Donald Trump filed for bankruptcy and how many times he changed the party from Democrat to Republican, Republican to Democrat. Well, I think Donald Trump would tell you that he has never personally filed for bankruptcy, and the number of business bankruptcy filings that he's had is um, at least four, but possibly as many as six. Um, he was a Democrat, then he became a Republican. I can't give you a, a TikTok on the back and forth there. And you're listening to the Diane Rehm Show. Let's go to Lauren in Palm Coast, Florida. You're on the air. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, hi. Um, it's funny, I, listening to all this, and there's been so much about the presidential election, and I get kind of ill in my stomach when I, I get worried about it. But then more so, I have heard nothing about the congressional races. And given the last eight years and the um, lack of... Uh, laws being made, the lack of action in this country because of Congress. Um, I'm wondering, is there how much change is expected, and 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 what, has anybody got any outlook on what's going to happen with the Congress this this? So the real fight at the moment is for control of the Senate, and uh, Lauren in Florida is at uh, at a sort of an epicenter of that fight. Uh, Democrats need to take back at least four seats to get to 50, five seats to get to 51 and control it outright without having the vice president. Uh, it is likely they will win at least two seats uh, in Illinois and Wisconsin. They lead in Indiana right now as well. And then there are sort of the, the seats that I think are at the center of this battle are in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and New Hampshire, three very well funded, uh, relatively well-liked Republican incumbents fighting against relatively strong Democratic uh, opponents. Uh, Of course, the D's and the R's will will argue with me over those particular descriptions. I talked to a lot of Republican strategists a week ago who were telling me that Donald Trump has not had an impact on those down-ballot candidates, and they're feeling a lot more optimistic than they were just a few months ago. Uh, I, I wish I had waited on that story until now because I think that might have changed. All right. And here's an email from Scott going to be interested in how you all respond to this. He says, is it so far-fetched to suggest that Donald Trump may drop out of the race at some point if the polls continue to show Trump losing? Scott says, I can see him picking up and going home if he's always so willing to file for bankruptcy for business deals going awry why not bail out on a losing <laughs> candidacy? I think it's very far-fetched. I think this has been a fantasy uh, over the months uh, of people who were strongly opposed to Trump. There was this idea that when his polls went down, uh, uh, in uh, the, when Ben Carson took over you know, briefly in September of last year, well, Trump might get out. And then there was this idea that if he didn't win Iowa, he always talked about winning so much. If he didn't win, he would he would just go home. And I think uh, now you're hearing some of the same stuff. And there's, the, yes, Republicans are panicked. Yes, some of them talked about an intervention, but this idea that Trump What's would just leave. What's the intervention? Leave, oh, it, it was, it, if you had the idea that there was a conference table and Nude and Rudy and Trump were sitting around, that's not not happening. It's 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 what's been happening for months, which is advisors trying to get a message to Trump, which is, please, stop slicing it over the trees and into the parking lot. Just, you know, make little mistakes instead of huge mistakes. Uh, I, I agree with Byron. I don't think uh, there's any serious chance that Trump is going to drop out, but that does raise the question of a really dangerous thing that Trump, I think, raised, started raising this week, which is the prospect that if he does lose the election, it will be because the election was rigged. Um, 
he, he may well lose. The polls now suggest he will lose. I think that for him to suggest that it would be because the election is rigged is very dangerous and very bad for democracy. I also thought it was unwise of President Obama to say that if the election were held at a time when the polls showed that Trump was 15 points ahead, that then he could raise questions. We saw the polls in last presidential elections totally wacko. And then, of course, President Obama won again. There are a small, there is a small minority of Americans who believe that President Obama is not a legitimate president. What if that number is 40, 45 percent of Americans? That, I agree with Ruth. That's very scary. Reed Wilson of the Hill, Ruth Marcus of the Washington Post, Byron York at the Examiner. Thank you all. Thanks Thank you. so Thanks. much, Diane. Thanks all for listening. I'm Diane Rehm. Thank you.